You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, the podcast that introduces you to the rich world of storytellers who share their personal journeys, creative processes, and the stories behind their stories, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and I'm thrilled to be part of your writing journey. If you're an aspiring writer, a literary enthusiast, or simply someone who believes in the transformative power of words, you've come to the right place. Every week, we'll pop the cork on the world of successful storytellers and give you a healthy pour of inspiration, insight, and empowerment. My mission is to help writers like you realize your full potential through the transformative and therapeutic power of writing. Whether you're just starting your literary voyage or looking to refine your craft, I'm here to provide you with the knowledge, inspiration, and encouragement you need to embark on your own storytelling adventure. So, are you ready to uncork your story and let your creativity flow? Uncorking a Story is about to begin. Sit back, relax, and let the transformative magic of storytelling whisk you away. Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Uncorking a Story. I'm Mike Carlin, and I'm so excited to have you with me as I uncork another story. I want to remind you to please follow our show on all social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Hell, I'll even throw in TikTok. We're trying to do TikTok. I'm not dancing, but we are putting videos up there, and they are getting some reach. You can find us on all of those platforms at Uncorking a Story. Just a quick note on YouTube, it's been a great platform uh, for growth of the show. You know, I, I just read something recently where YouTube is, has become the number one platform for podcasting in the United States. And uh, we've certainly seen some growth there. And I thank you all who are going to YouTube to, to watch our show. But in addition to being another you know vehicle for distribution, it's been a great way for me to interact with the audience and for fans of the show to interact with each other. So I encourage you to please subscribe to our YouTube channel by going to YouTube, searching for Uncorking a Story and hitting subscribe. For you audio listeners out there, please subscribe, rate, and review Uncorking a Story wherever you get your podcast. Doing so is a great way for us to extend the reach of our show and expose it to more and more listeners. So thank you for doing that in advance. Now, today on the show, we have a fascinating author named Florence Reese Kraut, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. One element, though, really stood out to me. Florence wanted to be a writer from a very young age. She knew as a kid sitting around you know, the, her family room table with all of her aunts, uncles, cousins, they were all natural storytellers. They were all immigrants and natural storytellers. And that's what she wanted to do from a young age. But she found that once she started her career, now she had a long career as a social worker, as a clinician, she had very little time to write, to devote to her craft. She also had three small children at home, which, which doesn't make it easier to have free time. And she did not find success immediately. She actually did wind up, you know, starting to write again during her career because, you know, that, that's an itch that ne doesn't necessarily go away no matter how often you scratch it. 
Um, but you know, she was hammering away on a manuscript. She, she almost gave up on her dream of becoming an author, but she didn't. She decided to take some classes. She worked with uh, developmental editors and she continued to hammer away at her first book for almost 10 years before it got published. Now that's a long time, 10 years to write a book. Now, in, in contrast, her second book took about a year and a half to write. Um, there is a learning curve in this thing we call writing and you do get better at it the more of it you do. But the point is, there is no such thing as an overnight success. And I talk to a lot of authors, you know, I think we're up to 320 on the show right now. They all share something in common. It doesn't happen overnight for anybody. It, it takes a long time. The path to publishing is not straight. It is not narrow. And it certainly is not smooth. It is windy. It is rocky. But you've got to stay on the road. Stay on the road. My cousin Mick gave me that advice. Mick Carlin. Great author, look him up, lives in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, has a, a lot of great books about jazz musicians, um, fictional books about jazz musicians. Stay on the road was his advice to me. So I'm going to give that to you. Stay on the road. You're going to find unexpected twists and turns on your journey. You're also going to find people who are willing to help you if you search for them. This is a very generous community. We're a part of the writing community. If you ask for help, somebody will give it to you. And if I can be one of those people for him, you just let me know, you know, reach out to me. I'm very easy to find, you know, go, go to uncorkingastory.com. My contact information's right there. One of my goals with the show is to help make you a better writer. So my lesson for today is to remind you to be persistent in your writing. Don't give up even when you feel down, especially when you feel down, you know, when you're running that marathon and it's like mile 22 and you only have a couple more to go, you know, you don't stop. You have to push on through, push through the exhaustion. Um, you will be proud that you finished. So finish your writing journey and ask for help when you need it. The dream can be yours. So please pursue it. Enough for me. I'm going to get off my soapbox. And now I'm going to introduce you to Florence Reese Kraut. Florence Reese Kraut is a native New Yorker raised and educated in New York City. She holds a BA in English and a master's in social work and worked for 30 years as a clinician, a family therapist, and CEO of a family service agency while writing stories and essays for publication. Florence has published personal essays for the New York Times, and her fiction has appeared in journals such as the Evening Street Press, SN Review, the Westchester Review, and others. She joins me today on Uncorking a Story to talk about her career and latest novel, Street Corner Dreams. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Florence. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here, Florence. And I'm curious, where does your story as an author begin? Well, curiously enough, it begins when I was a very little girl and I was very interested in stories. Because in my family, which was a huge family of, I had 26 aunts and uncles and 31 first cousins. And I used to sit and listen to all of the stories that my aunts and uncles and parents told each other uh, with lots of uh, secrets and all kinds of interesting tidbits, some of which I probably didn't understand. Um, and I always said I was going to be a writer. And so I made up stories all my childhood and I scribbled them and wrote them and so on and so forth. And so I like to think that I began that way, but of course that was just the backstory. 
Well, so I, lo- I love the fact that you, you came from a family of like natural storytellers. Um, and, and that, that is sort of something that I've heard often. Um, I'm curious, do you remember any of the stories that were being told from your, from your childhood? Do you, oh, can you recall anything? Oh my goodness. Yes. I remember the stories because, you know, my mother was one of 11 children and, um, she, you know, they would talk about things that had happened to them as children. Um, one of my uncles had run away when he was 12 years old and then, uh, came back and ran away again when he was 18 and joined the army. And so there were all kinds of stories about him and, uh, he sort of disappeared. And then one of his sisters found him. So I always found that was very, very interesting and brought him back to the fold, so to speak. Um, I remember the stories about the early dating years and uh, of course, my the, my father's family and my mother's family became one family because my father and his youngest brother married my mother and her youngest sister. So that was, you know, a tie-in. And my father's best friend was my mother's younger brother. So as you can see, there was a lot of um, incestuous kinds of relationships and uh so there were lots and lots of stories and the best friends of my aunts and uncles were also part of our family. Um, we were very welcoming, open family and they would, I knew them. I knew them when I was growing up. So I just knew all these stories. Did, did, did those stories ever serve as fodder for what you would sort of later write in fiction? Did you ever kind of lean into those or take, take inspiration from those? Well, I can't say no. <laughs> I, I mean, I think all writers write from their history. Uh, I don't, you know, it's true that in fiction, one imagines and does a lot of what ifs. And I did that. But of course, some of these stories were sort of rooted in my background. Um, I can't, the family was an immigrant family lived in Brooklyn, New York, an immigrant Jewish family. And so I, I have in my roots that, um, that background. And some of the things, when you have such a large family, um, some of the things that happened become sort of the nugget of a story. And that's as much as I would say I took from my family. Because yeah. I, I know that my first book, which was, um, is a family saga which runs over a hundred years with lots and lots of characters. And uh, in the front of the book, there's a family tree because nobody can follow it without. Um, that that book is probably it. It takes its flavor from my family. Let's let's put it that way. Sure. My second book, not um, not that much, but there is one story that was sort of a nugget for that one. So yes and no is the answer. <laughs> well, I definitely want to dig into your time in Brooklyn, but I think I'm going to hold off on that until we start talking about Street Corner Dreams. Because but okay. before I do, I want to just dig into, you know, you mentioned wanting to be a writer when you, from the time you were very young. And right. then I know in the background I read, you know, you, you do have that BA in English, but there's also that master's in social work and that long right. career as a clinician. Tell me a little bit about your decision to pursue uh, social work and and mm-hmm. you know becoming a, a, a therapist. Okay, that's that's a a great question because it's 
it was sort of a turning point. I had spent uh, my early years as a young adult writing, and I wrote a couple of novels. Got Those were the days when you could send them in and in a slush pile and get them picked up, you know, that's ancient history. Um, and I did, I mean, uh, you know, I had an a editor that was sort of interested in one of my, it was a young adult adult, uh, a novel. Um, and she worked with me a little while, but we never did get it going to where she wanted it to be. Uh, at the time I had three young children and it was also the time you won't remember this, but historically you will, that uh, women were looking to move into the world. Somehow the um, constraints of uh, being a wife and a mother for a lot of us was not enough. All of my friends were going out and getting jobs. I was the kind of person that everybody would come and tell stories to. They would talk to me. And I thought, you know, social work would be a good outlet and I would I wanted a career. I wanted to be able to earn some money. So I I decided to go to social work school. And it was a brilliant decision, I must say. Um, you know, what do people do when they come to a social worker? They tell you their story. So here I was, um, this latent storyteller, very interested in families and what went on in families. And... Um, my professional career was now blossoming with all kinds of stories, interesting stories, sad stories, happy stories. Um, and I loved my social work career. I worked as a family ther therapist and a therapist. And then, indeed, I ran the agency. It was in Norwalk, Connecticut. So oh, sure. that, was, um, that was almost 30 years of my adult life yeah that, that's when not I retired oh, oh by the way i i should say i continued writing all that time i was writing i was taking classes i went to sarah lawrence i uh took workshops i was in writing groups so i never gave up writing and when i finally retired and began writing i had loads of stories and that that's what framed my first book um and then uh, my second book which was written, one was written in nine years and the second book was written in a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely want to dig into that. Um, but, uh, I'm curious, like in your, in your career as a therapist, did you ever use writing or, or journaling as a therapeutic tool for, for your clients? Um, certainly there were some clients for whom that was a, a very good tool, um, to help them to, uh, organize what they really say, what they were feeling without having the fear of uh, being heard. And then once it was down on paper, they were able to share it. Um, but I didn't use it as a tool all of the time. Okay. Um, for the most part, I, you know, it was a talk, a lot of, a lot of family groups, a lot of um, couples I did. Okay. Well, let's talk about that first book because um, I'm curious. Nine, you said nine, nine plus years to write it. Right, um, right. Uh, and uh, I certainly want to dig into what you learned between <laughs> books to cut that down to uh, a much <laughs> a shorter period of time. But tell me, like, what was the journey for that for that first book? 
So I told you I had been spending years writing short stories, and I had all of these characters um, that were uh, very real and truthful and honest in my heart. A lot of the stories had been published, and I started thinking that some of them made the nut of a family. Um, so I, wonder, I, I decided I wanted to write a novel, but I couldn't lose these characters. So I began to put them together into this family saga, which I always loved family sagas. And um, I wrote about them. Um, I took five of them and made them the, the, uh, the you know, the uh, center of this family. And they appeared in each other's stories. Um, and we followed them over the years but it was a very complicated way to write a novel. I do not recommend it. <laughs> I had a teacher who said to me, you know, this is not an easy way to write a novel. But I got a developmental editor and she helped me. And then I was in these workshops and people were very excited by the characters and the stories. And um, so I went on with it and I rewrote it and then I brought it back and I rewrote it again. So the nine years comprised writing the story about five, four, four or five times yeah. because it didn't have the, you know, people would say, who's the protagonist? And I would say the protagonist is the family. It's not any one of the individual uh, characters. Yeah. So that's why it took me so long. <laughs> sure, sure. And it was published, by the way, in 2020, just when the pandemic hit. Well, I mean, in some ways that's a good, it's good timing because people had a lot more free time and right. I know uh, reading, uh, reading and writing were some, you know, I'm, I'm talking to authors continuously who started their, you know, books that, that are coming out now, you know, either right before the pandemic or right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so I know it was a very productive time for, for many people, but that's absolutely true. And know. one of the good things that happened to me was that a lot of, this is a, a book that was a fabulous book for book clubs. And I was able to connect with book clubs all over the country and even in Canada and Mexico because we had Zoom and sure. everybody was looking for something to do at home and Zooming was fabulous. And so I did over a hundred book clubs all over the country and that's one of the ways that people got to read the book. So it was it was a uh, you know a, a happy circumstance for me, but a very unhappy one for the world. Yeah, of so, course, of course. But we have to look for those silver linings, and I think that yes, exactly, definitely, definitely. The, the creativity that came forth is certainly a silver lining, and and of course, the way you can now promote books, appear at at book clubs, appear at virtual you know, right. events by bookstores without having to leave your home. I mean, look, I still love to get on the road and travel, but, you know, you have to, it's, it, there's an easy burnout factor there too, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I can, I can see that beginning to happen now that people are meeting, um, you know, personally. And fortunately I live in a very big area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Long Island. I, you know, I could meet with book clubs in person um, but I couldn't go to California easily. I mean, it's, you know, this is the expense and the time. And so 
uh, it's going to be different with this new book. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that's a good segue to talk about the new book. So what can you share with us about Street Corner Dreams? Okay, so um, this book came about because my daughter is very interested in uh, ancestry and family stories. She's also a family story person. And uh, she had done some research on our extended family, not not my mother's immediate small family of 11 brothers and sisters, but uh, her cousins and so on. And she discovered that my mother had a first cousin who was a member of the gangs of actually Murder Incorporated, which at the time was very active in Brooklyn and East New York. And um, it had arisen through prohibition when, you know, the alcohol was illegal, but everybody wanted to drink. And so the those people who were um, not afraid to break the law, broke the law and made fortunes of money. And that's how organized crime really grew in New York. There were always the thugs. There were always the people in the, in the, te- in the, you know, tenements and so on who made money by bullying and but this was different because it was really organized. And she said, your mom had a first cousin who was uh, a, a member of the gangs and was up in the Catskills and got murdered and um, in a gang war. And then he's, he was buried in a pauper's grave. And she said, it turned out she had a couple of newspaper articles and one of them said he was, uh, his mother disowned him. And the other one said his father went up and got the body and brought him back and reburied him in New York and went through the uh, ritual shiva for mourning for his son. And she said, could you imagine what went on in that family when that happened? And so that was the ultimate what if Um I did not write that particular story, <laughs> but I started thinking about what happens, what happened to those families that came um, to New York right at before World War I, and they were very poor. What were the ways that they could get out of the tenements? I did a lot of research, and I discovered that there were two ways. You know, you could work very hard, and it might take you two or three generations to build up something, or you could join these gangs and make a lot of money very quickly. And so I, I wove that into the novel, which is about a uh, girl who comes with her sister. And this is not a giveaway because it's in the first four pages of the novel. Um, she comes on that she's 18 years old and she accompanies her pregnant married sister on the boat to meet her husband, her husband who had preceded her to New York. And unfortunately she dies in childbirth. So the sister gets off the boat with the baby to meet this husband who was of course very shocked and sad. So that's the start of the book. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened to this family as they go through world war one, as they go through uh, the great, 
Spanish flu epidemic, which was very interesting to me, having gone just gone through the pandemic. Right. And um, uh, the years of um, the Depression, the Great Depression, and that's all woven into the story with the gangs and some romances. And that's that's the story. A little suspense here and there. People not sure what's going to happen. I think it's it's an amazing time to write about, and I, I always wish if I had a time machine, I'd love to go back to New York in in that in that sort of time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have liked the fact that there wasn't air conditioning. Um, <laughs> probably a lot more walking, right? I mean, there's probably oh sure a lot of stairs. Probably People a lot of stairs involved. Stairs, no, yes, a lot of most of the buildings didn't have elevators, even though elevators existed, of course. Absolutely true, and. Uh, the the streets were where a lot of the things took place, especially for young people, because they didn't have they didn't have playrooms. They didn't have you know everybody lived in very crowded uh, circumstances if they were poor, and uh, most of most immigrants were very poor. Um, so they lived on the streets, and all kinds of things happened on the streets as we know. You know, if yeah. you've watched The Godfather, if you watched <laughs> Goodfellas, or you you know, you've seen these things. Sure. Um, and that's that was the way that it was. So my uh, my grandmother was an Italian immigrant and mm-hmm. um, splitting time between, I think, Newark. The first time they came over, they were in Newark because mm-hmm. my great my great grandfather had a shop. And then these these people you mentioned, uh, the uh, the um, gangs, you know, would come yes. and. They'd make him pay sort of protection right. money. And Absolutely. then he said, you know, I, I left Italy to, to come away from this. So they, mm-hmm. he wound up moving back to Italy. And, and my, grand, my grandmother's uh, wow. brothers and sisters were all born over there. And then when she came back, it was um, to Brooklyn. But she would tell me stories about immigrants and, you know, they, they didn't speak English. So they right. would they would mime what they needed in the grocery store. And some right. of the biggest laughs I remember from my childhood was my grandmother showing me how they would like cluck like a chicken to, to say, I, I need eggs. Um, <laughs> or one, one said to, to describe she needed a colander. And she goes, uh, water and macaroni go in. <laughs> macaroni stay. Water go bye-bye. <laughs> she was in, the bro- in broken English, she would say. She could have been an actor, right? A mime. But, um, but yeah, that's... It's but an amazing time period, though. Um, it, it really and that what you were describing about the protection money uh, went on all the time, and it was not, of course, just the Italian got, sure. uh, mobs. There were Jewish mobs, and there were Irish mobs, and Polish. On every street corner, there was another uh, group of mobsters that were running the area. So, well, yeah. And it, I think in, in any of those populations where, you know, you, people were sort of discriminated against because you were Jewish or you were Irish or you were Italian, right. like other groups would come in. And, and, and I think addition, you know, initially it was to help protect. But of course, right. they were taking advantage of that situation. Right. Um, right. And then, of course, as, as you pointed out with prohibition, that's where I mean, that was just kerosene to. Yes, to sort of a, a, a hundred percent. And I have had a very funny experience, which goes along with what we were talking about. And that is, um, I had read in one of the books that I was doing research on that if you sort of ask 
people whose families were immigrants during that period, if they had any members of the family that were in the mobs. Uh, most often you will find, or often you will find that there were. So when I've given a few talks, because the book just came out uh, in November, um, and I always ask, and mostly I don't get responses. People don't raise their hands or say yes. But afterward, they come up to me and they say, well, the truth is my father was a chauffeur for the mafia. Another one said, my father was a driver in prohibition, was bringing the alcohol and so on, got arrested, it was in, in jail. And that changed our whole life. And, um, and one of my cousins said to me, she knew exactly who I was talking about with this cousin of our mother's. And she named the, the person and it wasn't. So she had a gangster on her father's side of the family as well as on mine. So it was quite, it was not uncommon is really the the story. Yeah, and it's uh I mean it and it's still around today. I mean as much as we we'd course. like to believe it it doesn't exist or you know uh, Rudy Giuliani cleaned up New York City. I mean I it, it it's it very even in my town, you know, there's a reason why there's there's no chain restaurants. Yeah, there's <laughs> they're, they're not, you know, there's no Applebee's. They're not welcome. You know. There's a reason um, why, why those, those places don't, don't exist. Yes. It's still, it's Very still got influence. It's still, yes. there's Absolutely. still a fair amount. Oh, it of that. totally does. It totally does. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's true also in other countries. There's, you know, uh, it goes on everywhere, but it did have, um, its roots in the, in prohibition and it's, and it grew and it's heyday. And, and that really became, something very um, not unique to New York because it was true of Chicago and Detroit and Las Vegas and uh, Los Angeles as well. Uh, Any big city had it and uh, New Orleans, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. But I wrote specifically about this uh, Brooklyn and the, uh, the Jewish and the Italian gangs. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of you know, and then you know, I think there was you mentioned The Godfather before, right? Um, and of course, there's been so many movies about sort of the Italian mafia. But the one movie I do remember about the Jewish mafia, uh, I mean, I guess you could put Bugsy in there, which I don't uh, know, sure, was a, yes, was he a, was, he was, a, he was a, you know, I think he was uh, who was it? Warren Beatty played Bugsy Siegel in, yes, that, in that movie, Bugsy but Siegel. there was a great movie with um. Robert De Niro and James Woods called, I think it was yes. called Once Upon a Time in America. Once Upon a Time in America. I, when I was doing research for this book, I watched the uncut version yeah. of that movie, which was four hours long. It's a long, it's a long it movie. It's a remarkable. long movie. Remarkable. But yeah. then apparently they cut it because mm. four hours was not going to go. And it became a, you know, a shambles because they left so much out. But I watched yes. the four hours and it was amazing. It yeah. was just a brilliant movie. And, and that was, one was about the Jewish gangs. Right. Yeah, and it was you yeah. never I never heard of that movie. My neighbor said, Hey, you gotta watch this movie. He had a copy of yeah. it. And he, did he you watch the me. four hours? I did, yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, it was a good it. a great film. I mean, slow at parts, but you know, right. certainly uh um yeah. if I remember it started it's somebody in an opium den, if I can't if I remember correctly. Well, because was, yes, because that was that started that it was the end of it. 
and then he was sort of remembering everything that had happened. That right. was Robert De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I thought it was great. I loved it. So, yeah. Yeah. He's probably played more mobsters uh, than any other actor. <laughs> Starting with uh, Godfather 2 and then, yes. you know, of yes. course, uh, yeah. Goodfellas yeah. and Casino and. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, he was. He's a great actor. He really is. But he's been yeah. in a lot of comedies, too. And he has. Romances. He, has. he was in one with Sophia. Uh, not Sophia. Uh, what's her name? She. Oh God, she played in Sophie's Choice. What's. Uh, the f- brilliant actress that everybody loves. Well, I can't remember her name right now. <laughs> That's okay. That's, this isn't, you know, we're not doing trivia yet. We'll all save that for no. later okay. in, our, in our conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I always like to get to know my guests a little bit more by, by asking some questions around pop culture. So I'm curious when you were younger, like what were, what were some of the, um, the authors you like to read uh, when you were, oh, when uh, I was a kid. Major? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. So I, I read a lot of the classics because um, I think that, uh, I mean, I read the, you know, Nancy Drews and those kinds of books, but the book I read over and over again was Little Women. I loved that book. And Joe was my hero. She, you know, the writer. Um, yeah. I, I just absolutely adored that book. And... Um, <laughs> I'm trying to uh, remember some of the, I, I remember reading a series about World War II, which was very exciting uh, and scary because it, you know, it had happened in, in near history, which I think is different than when you're reading something that happened in the Civil War or something that was so sure. far away. Um, I like to read about women or girl heroines Mm -hmm. because so I remember reading about uh reading books about Florence Nightingale I loved that one of course because of my name and Clara Barton you know nurses because they were starting something new I really um yeah and girl reporters but I read a lot of classics and my mother would give me every book that she had uh some of them I remember one of my aunts saying I read Gone with the Wind when I was probably, I don't know, nine. And my aunt said, how can you let her read that? Well, I mean, she said, well, the things that she doesn't understand, she won't understand. (laughs) But she, you know, she just figured if I could read it, it was fine. And um, so, and I read all the time. That was, that was something that, I mean, we didn't have television and it was, uh, we had radio, of course, we listened to the radio a lot, but. I didn't have television till I was till I was in uh, junior high school, but the, those early years we didn't have it. So. Yeah, I always I, I like to you know I I would have loved to have you know experienced that time period where you know people were just sitting around the radio and and listening mm-hmm. to stories and and I think a lot of you know podcasting to Podcast. me it's, absolutely I mean it's it's a throwback really to the days when when we told you know audio stories over the radio I right. I. I, I think that um, when I was commuting to work, I listened. To, I didn't read so much because I didn't have very much time. But the half hour or 45 minute commute, I would listen to novels um, or not nonfiction books. And I was that's how I read. And that 
that was like the radio. It was great. Yeah. And so uh, both of my books are in audio because a lot of people now, that's the way they like to quote unquote read. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about uh, movies? Do you have any 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 favorite movies? Any any sort of uh, movies speak to you? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I the movies that we were talking about, I loved them. Um, I so I I loved um, just recently. You know, last year I was it was Christmas, and that's why I thought about it. Uh, I we watched the Fablemans. We went to the theater and we watched the Fablemans and I loved that. It was, that was, you know, a family story. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing, uh, the, uh, Leonard Bernstein. Oh yeah. With, um, Bradley Cooper, right? With Bradley Cooper. I very much want to see that. Uh, he was a great hero in, uh, our family because he was such a brilliant, uh, conductor and musician and, um, in fact, my, my nephew knew him because he played played in Tanglewood. He was a student violinist and under Bernstein. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, what other movies? Uh, I loved uh, I loved Little Women. I loved I loved love stories of all sorts. You know, I was very romantic, just like you would expect. I uh, can't even remember all the names of them, but I loved, you know, the the heroic men. Um, and we went to the movies almost every Saturday. And you, there would be a double feature in those yeah. days. You would go, you'd see two movies. Could you imagine sitting through two movies? <laughs> Plus uh, a, uh, we used to call them serials in the middle. The serials, yeah. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I well, also, yeah, grew no, up no. going to Broadway shows and, um, you know, musicals uh, when I was a kid. And then when I was in college, of course, I, you know, went to all the drama. Um, I remember sitting through Long Day's Journey into Night. <laughs> it was a very long play. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as we, as we sort of wrap up here, Florence, if, if mm -hmm. you could go back in time and whisper some words of advice into your younger, you know, your, your younger self's ear, what would you tell the younger Florence? Yeah, well, I'm very, um, you know, I almost gave up my dream and, uh, I'm very, uh, I'm very glad that I didn't, but I would probably say to that younger writer uh you know you can do it don't don't despair because you didn't have success right away um but keep going because there was a period where i sort of dropped it and then i picked it up again and i started taking classes and everything and writing and and i did that because i suddenly had the thought that you know, I could go through my whole life and be very happy as a social worker and a mother of three children. And um, and still, I would have not achieved my biggest dream. And that made me very sad, the thought of that. So that was when I picked up my writing again really seriously. So I would tell my younger self, don't give it up. Yeah. You know, so how you, how close were you to hmm? how, how close were you to giving it up? Well, 
you know, when I went back to social work school, I was, I had these three young kids and I was in social work school and I really couldn't write much. Um, so, you know, I thought to myself, well, I'm never going to make it as a writer. And so, you know, I think it depends on what you define as make it. I'm, you know, I know that, or I don't think I'll be a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list, but, um, I feel I'm successful if people read the book, like it, tell their friends about it, they like it, and they tell other people. And that has happened to me. So I have to say that I feel successful in that sense and feel good about my books and um, the fact that I achieved it later in my life um, is okay. You know. And to some extent, I think it things are things happen when they're meant to happen. You know, yeah, um, true. Mm-hmm. You know, they they and, and the fact that it's you know you know quote to quote your terms later in life. You know, I think that's that's when it was supposed to happen for you. Then um, <laughs> I like that. Know, it's, it's, I like uh, that, Michael. <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe I should be a therapist someday. Um, that was actually my that was my that was career one That was what I was going to do, and then uh, I got sidetracked. <laughs> well, there you go. And but you did write. I mean, you published a yeah a mystery. I understand. I haven't read yeah. it yet. Right. No, yeah, that's it's. Uh, I I will not plug my book on your episode. I will, uh... <laughs> well, that's it's... another one of the kinds of books I like to read. So maybe I'll write a mystery also. Do yeah. there you go. It is yes. it is quirky. It is a quirky yeah. one. So that's for sure. That's good. Quirky but, uh, is good. Florence, where where can people learn more about you? If they, I imagine somebody sitting sitting at home saying, "Hey, I wonder if she's on. Uh, she has a website, or if she's on social media." I have media. a website. I have a website. Uh, FlorenceReeseCrout.com. It has lots of. Um, it has some short stories. It has some. Uh, chapters of the first book that didn't get into the first book, but are on my website. It has blogs, um, and, uh, travelogues because we did a, we've traveled a lot and I like to write about travel. And, uh, so that's my website. And of course it has both books and ways to get in touch with me. If you want to have a, a book club, I have, um, I'm on, uh, Facebook and Instagram, Florence Rees Kraut, author, has is my author page and um so you can you know see all about me there um and all of my events you know i put them on facebook and so on um and what else i'm i'm on link i'm on all the social media platforms but i guess i use probably instagram and facebook the most all right i will be sure to put all of those links in our show notes. So all people have to do is just tap on it and uh, not have to worry about writing everything down that you just said. So yes, that's right. Uh, we'll make it <laughs> easy good, to, to find yeah. you and uh, we'll put in links to buy the book as well. So uh, Florence, thank you so much for stopping by uncorking a story and letting me uncork yours. I am delighted to have been here. It's been fun to talk to you. Thanks for listening to uncorking a story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story. 